Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup, episode 105. Now, this is where we round up the most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andile Masugu and I'm really glad you could join us. I recently got back from the Afrobytes Tech Conference that went down in Paris last week and it rocked, folks. It was incredible to meet many listeners of the show while we were out there. At least several of you were kind enough to step up to me and let me know just how much you appreciate the work we do here. And for that, I'm really grateful. I hasten to remind you that this is your show, though. As a listener of the African Tech Roundup, you have the opportunity to become an active part of Africa's growing tech and innovation industry. And so while in the coming weeks, you can look forward to some really dope podcasts and video content that we taped while we were in Paris. Uh, What we look forward to is getting even more of your emails, social media posts, and especially those voice notes that we can share with the world right here on this platform. And to do that, all you have to do is find us on social at African Roundup on Instagram and Twitter, facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup on Facebook. And of course, our email address is hello at africantechroundup.com. We'd love to hear from you. This is your show. This week, though, this episode is dedicated to sharing insights from the Internet of Things World Forum that went down in London a few weeks ago. Now, you can expect to hear Africa-focused IoT perspectives from Anton Juster of Dimension Data, Pradap Dendi of AppDynamics, David Meads of Cisco Africa, and Alan Griffiths of Kambashi. That's all coming up, but first... This episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by GoDaddy. Now, GoDaddy makes registering domain names fast, simple, and affordable. They're the world's largest domain registrar. They're trusted by over 13 million customers around the world and provide everything you need to get your business set up online, including award-winning 24-7 support. Now, to save 30% on a new domain name or to use any of their other services, go to trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech. Again, that's trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech to save yourself 30%. Right, so just a few weeks ago, you'll recall that I attended the IoT World Forum hosted by the global IT and networking giant Cisco. Now, they convened this invite-only gathering to facilitate dialogue among key stakeholders and innovators within business, government, and, of course, academia, to you know, collaborate, network, partner, and solve some of the challenges facing IoT on the globe. Now, to the organizers' credit, uh, this year featured a balanced mix of speakers and panelists who I feel did quite a great job of uh, you know bringing varied perspectives. Uh, we had senior executives from major firms like Intel, Dimension Data, Rockwell Automation, IBM, GE. And of course, Cisco, um, all of them sharing dozens of potential IoT use cases and unpacking some real world case studies uh, of some of the dramatic wins that are being made courtesy of IoT deployments all over the world in both commercial and non-commercial settings. Now, there were some independent voices there as well. Um, the likes of uh, Canadian author, consultant, and speaker Don Tapscott, as well as the acclaimed author and futurist Herod Leohard. Now, both gentlemen brought to the table some ideas that seem to cut through the the conference's sort of we-are-the-world facade right down to its capitalist core. Now, what they did was provoke deeper thinking into some of the more serious societal implications of this trend towards the adoption of IoT. Now, my interest, of course, was to ascertain how this trend is likely to impact African enterprises and citizens alike. 
And so the first clip I'm going to play for you is part of a chat I had with Dimension Data's Global Director for the Internet of Things, Anton Juster. Now, he did a great job of highlighting some of the promise of IoT within the African context. Take a listen. Help me contextualize some of what we've been hearing at this conference, very international in nature, um, leaning very heavily to the developed world experience in terms of, uh, you know, the, some, many of the speakers coming from economies where, you know, internet penetration is at a certain level, digital transformation in many enterprises where they come from is, I wouldn't say maturing, but certainly at an advanced stage relative to, say, the African continent. Uh, in the context of dimension data, which, and I'm, I'm sure these figures are, are long since wrong, but something to the tune of $7.5 billion in terms of like the size of this ICT business. Uh, give me a sense of, you know, what dimension data, how dimension data frames IoT in the context of the greater business and specific to the African context. Uh, in, where are the opportunities? What's the promise? Well, okay, so there, there, there are a couple of broad, uh, broad answers I'm going to need to give there. So I think contextually it's very important to, to understand that the world is now steadling, steadily moving uh, into what some people are calling the fourth industrial revolution. Um, and there's a, a, a really good book uh, authored by Klaus Schwab, who is the chairman and uh, founder of the World Economic Forum. And in fact, the, the term, the fourth industrial revolution, comes from, from Klaus Schwab. And really what they are pontificating, this uh, collection of, of great minds that gather every year in Davos, um, is that we really are moving into a new paradigm, a new era, which is the digital era. And many of us would, would have started to become exposed to that through examples like an Uber and how that's disrupted uh, transportation. Things like Netflix would be other examples. But those are just household examples of, of early digitization. Really, what we're seeing is there are multiple underpinning um, let me call them mega trends that are driving this era of digitization. And, and one of those is the Internet of Things. And really what the Internet of Things is, it is taking things that used to have sort of a physical attribute and giving them a digital persona by connecting them to the Internet. And many people probably confine the, the Internet of Things to a conversation about devices and sensors, but it is far more than that. That is one component. Um, it, 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 is, it is also important to note that the devices and sensors give rise to data. And that analyzed and interpreted data, very key that, analyzed and interpreted data, can be used to solve problems or to address certain opportunities. So we really see the Internet of Things as being a combination of connectivity, which is devices and sensors generating data, and then analytics or big data, um, that when interpreted can deliver a particular business outcome. And we're seeing that of many of the underlying digital trends uh, that, that form part of the, the fourth industrial revolution, the Internet of Things is gaining traction a lot quicker relative to many of the others. So we, as, as Dimension Data, have got a particular interest in this uh, for many reasons. Most importantly, because our clients... Um, are, are ambitious in their adoption of the Internet of Things, and we have a role to play in, in, in supporting them on that journey. So from our perspective, we really do see the, the Internet of Things as being fundamentally part of our future and a big driver in the tech sector. Um, moving to your second uh, uh, question, which is really how does this play out in 
in, in places like South Africa and more broadly on the African continent. Yeah, like what sh- why should we care? Why is this either a, a trend we should embrace or fear perhaps or, uh, or certainly, you know, support in, in a sense? And you can speak firstly maybe commercially. You mentioned your, cl- your customers that are on their way to quote-unquote a digital transformation and you want to support them in that. So you maybe start there and then bring it down to the average African, uh, not even Andile, because I, I, I don't really represent the average African in many respects. You don't. You absolutely don't, Andile. So, so I, th- I, th- I think at a, at a, at a at a, at, a, at a mega trend level, I mean, this is an unavoidable, right? I, I don't think that, that, that this is a situation where you choose to opt in or opt out. Um, it, it is, it, it is, this isn't Bitcoin, boys. This isn't Bitcoin. You, you don't opt in and opt out, right? Yeah. And even that's arguable. But yeah, I, I get your point. It's, it, it is a, it's a global mega phenomenon that, that's, 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 that's happening, right? And, and I think it's more of a, 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 a question of how consciously do you want to take advantage of it and become the master of your own destiny? Or do you want to become a victim of circumstance? You can choose. The trend's here. It's not going away whether you like it or not. And I think that we all need to get our heads around that is, is precisely that. Do you want to become a victim of circumstance or a master of your own destiny? What we're seeing is many companies are choosing to be masters of their own destiny. That In the enterprise context, what does that mean? Well, they realize that they've got various business challenges, whether it could be uh, a need to reduce costs, grow revenue, improve safety, health, and environmental issues, reduce risk. And they see technology being a major enabler in order to do that, and in particular, the Internet of Things. So they have chosen to become masters of their own destiny and deal with particular problems leveraging technology. Of course, they could choose not to, right? And I think that um, we are all familiar of the disruptive nature of technology and the implication that has on on companies. And I think uh, forward-looking CEOs that that, that are adaptable realize that if they do not uh, take charge of their own destiny, someone else is going to do it for them. So I think from a, a corporate perspective, that's the reality we're seeing. But indeed, it's pervasive. It doesn't stop at the enterprise. I, I think it has a, a major role to play in, in government and indeed in the consumer space. And it is interesting if one takes a step back and looks at, at, at how technology has, has really liberated in many instances impoverished communities or people that were on the wrong side of the digital divide. One, one, one can just look to Kenya by way of an example with, with online payments and, and, and M-Pesa. I mean, it's a great success story the world over. If you look at cell phone penetration in, in South Africa and what people are using that for, that's incredibly liberating. So I do believe that deeply embedded uh, in, 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 in an African culture, and, and it, we've got to be very careful here, and Africa is a very big place, right? And too often we speak about it as though it's a very small geographic entity. But you really are seeing people embracing technology, not only in the corporate space, but in you know, general public life. And so this is seeing what I'd like to think of as uh, the need to reassess you know, digital ethics, if that's even a thing. Um, th- this idea that in the context of the developing world, uh, not least 
countries on the continent. You're dealing with with a consumer at a certain sort of uh, level of understanding in terms of the implications of what it means to to have sensors in everything from the palm of your hand, in the case of a mobile phone, to your refrigerator, you know, your TV set. Uh, heck, you know, even the hospital bed or the cot your, your, your children, you know, play in, or the school for that matter. I mean, you, we've heard quite a few arguments in the interest of, hu- you know, humanity, even here while we've been in, in London. What are some of the key issues that sort of filter to your mind when, when you hear these, these uh, issues discussed? What, what kind of floats to the top for you? So uh, I think there, 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 there are two things. One is the real positive side of, of technology disruption that enables, it liberates, it makes lives better, right? And I, I think that, that, that human progress has been largely driven by innovation at the end of the day. So I think there is a massively positive slant to any of this. Now, with any technological disruption comes negative consequences. It's been like this for time immemorial through the Stone Age, the Iron Age, through the Industrial Revolution, through the electrical era and into ultimately the digital era. So I don't think we should be surprised about this. Um, we, we, we really just need to accept the fact that this is reality and take advantage of, of your own future and grab the, the, the bull by the horns. But having said that there are very positive consequences to this type of uh, mega trend, I think there are also negative consequences, right? Make no doubt you know, make no doubt that, that there's going to be disruption, right? Ways of work are going to be disrupted. In fact, kudos to you because you were on a panel uh, just the other day and you actually, I mean, everyone else on the panel kind of was talking up, you know, all these amazing use cases, amazing case studies for how IoT has changed communities, is improving yields and all that. And you're like, well, people are going to lose their jobs because, you know, the nature of work will change. And I I appreciate that sort of pragmatism and candor because I think, you know, as Africans, we can't afford to think about it in any other way if we're going to progress. Absolutely. Now, now I think we mustn't all panic now and think that we're all going to be out of jobs. Let's just keep grounded here for a moment. What I think we need to realize is the nature of work is going to change. So if you've got highly manual tasks, you are going to get disintermediated. And I think that that is a major concern in, 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 in the third world, as it's called, in the emerging market, where many people's jobs are reliant on, frankly, manual labor type of work, right? And, and I think that automation is going to play a major role, and that is threatening to those kinds of people. Having said all of that, though, there are multiple new business opportunities, new careers, new vocations that open up for those that are digitally literate and herein lies the challenge is that i believe that not only on the african continent it applies all over the world it applies to frankly europe and north america that communities are going to have to be digitally literate it is as simple as that those communities that choose to take control of their own destiny to invest in skills are going to thrive in this new era and those that choose not to i think are going to suffer consequences. And one of those consequences is people are going to lose jobs. So if you have not started to cross the digital divide, you are going to get left behind. And those, those are the consequences of change, by the way. Um, and and it's, it's just something that's an irrevocable truth. 
And that puts into context some of the uh, corporate efforts, many of which we sort of look at with some cynicism on the show. <laughs> you know, Google trying to, you know, train millions and IBM's trying to train, Cisco's trying to do this. And, and of course, we, we go, okay, well, good for you. But in the context of what you're saying, I mean, uh, you know, perhaps I, I look at those kind of efforts with a, with a renewed interest or at least a, a renewed appreciation because what you're saying is, is at a fundamentally basic level, how digitally ready or how digitally equipped are our communities for the future that's coming? Absolutely. Um, and, and, and one would have to say that, that, that on the African continent they largely are not, right? I think they are the privileged few that, that happen to have been given decent educations that are exposed to the global village, and as a result they are carried away by a rising tide um, of, of digitization. Um, that does not mean that we cannot achieve the same for all. One of the great frustrations in South Africa, I think, has been the regulatory environment and, as a result, the lack of, of, of bandwidth, frankly, right? High-speed internet connectivity into schools, into communities the world over. That in itself is a massive enabler, right? And I think we lag for, for, for really unnecessary reasons at the end of the day. Some of them are geopolitical, let's be honest, but they're unnecessary. I think the, the other area uh, that, that is, is really needing focus is the education system um, across the world. I don't think this is an African uh, comment, frankly. Um, you are starting to see shining lights, like Singapore, by way of an example, introduce coding, coding, the ability to write code into the school curriculum. This is like having maths or history or, or a language in the syllabus. And they realize that you know, for, for Singaporeans to thrive in the world, they've got to be digitally literate. In this day and age where you've got so many online courses, um, we were talking earlier, I think this week, about what Harvard and MIT are doing, which is accessible to anybody on the planet for free, right, if you've got a high-speed internet linked. There is no reason why uh, an impoverished community um, in rural Zimbabwe, if they've got access, cannot uplift themselves. They do not have to be left behind. Um, so I do see this as being a play that's got opportunity, but at the same time also some negativity. Um, but, but, but that's not unusual, as I keep saying. I think every mega disruptive trend comes with these consequences. Next, I spoke to David Meads, who heads up Cisco's Africa business. Now, here he is explaining how his company plans to ensure that the IoT trend benefits everybody by delivering value for the average African. Here it is. I have a, a huge concern around IoT and how in developing markets, I think, or at least citizens within developing markets, will have a much more difficult time trying to understand their role in uh, you know, basically surrendering access to their lives via data and the value of that and, 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 and all of this in the context of commercialization. And so I'm quite keen to hear how, in, in your view, um, the citizen gets, gets a win too. Yeah. Um, so despite my accent for your listeners, uh, I did spend three years living in South Africa, in Johannesburg, so I have some first-hand experience of living in the environment. Um, and I also travel frequently to, to South Africa and across the continent. So um, I think I've got a reasonable understanding of some of the challenges that, that exist living in, and, and uh, working on the continent. Um, there are three things that jump out to me um, which are 
fundamental to, to the quality of life of any citizen actually in any country. One is education, one is healthcare, and one is safety and security. There's no question that, that, that each of those tenants, if you will, can be improved, can be accelerated, can be made more efficient by using some of the technology that exists today and the technology as it will evolve in the coming years. So if you, if you double-click on one of those, it's, say, education, for example, if you could provide, through technology, the same quality of education to every child in Africa, whether they live in a major urban area or whether they live in a remote village, because they all have access to the same curriculum, maybe even the same teachers through technology, um, then you know, what is that going to do to the next generation of young African, African children? If you, if you duplicate that into the world of healthcare, and if you can provide the same standard of healthcare to any citizen living anywhere in Africa, again by leveraging the capability of technology, then what is that going to do to the population? Safety and security, well, you know, we're, we're talk, talking today from the UK and we had a terrible ter terrorist attack only last night in the UK, so there's nowhere in the world that's safe. But, you know, many of the African cities have their own challenges as well around safety and security. Many of those problems can be solved using technology. So I think the, the challenge is, you know, and I'm not a politician, but the challenge is how do the politicians, how do we as, as, as companies who have these technologies and these solutions and the ecosystem that we're part of, how can we provide the thought leadership to government to show them the art of the possible and then allow them to, to wrestle with the challenge of how they, you know, how they invest for the long term that's not necessarily going to win votes in the very short term but is absolutely the right thing to do for citizens in the long term. And you know, that's a political dilemma that fortunately I don't have to worry about. Our, our job, I think, is to provide the art of the possible, to show the art of the possible, government then has a job to help create an environment which is fit for purpose and you know, some of the legislation that they need to uh, perhaps rethink and data protection being one of those. In the context of all the exciting uh, announcements being made by the big mobile telcos and in places like South Africa and, and, and Kenya around you know, building IoT infrastructure, newer players you know, nipping at their heels in the same space claiming you know, in the next 18 months we should expect certain capacity to come online. Where does Cisco feature in terms of strategy like that? Are, are you coming to market with them? Do you hear those announcements and then put your business development team straight on onto them? Or are you on the end from the get-go? Um, in, in many cases, we are very much part, part of that. You know, the, the telecommunications market service providers, as we would call them, are a huge part of our business globally and very much so in Africa. Um, not just the mobile operators, by the way, but, but you know, the traditional telecoms providers as well. Uh, much of the solutions that they're innovating around are built on our platforms. So um, you know, we, I'd like to think that I'm realistic enough to know it's not in every case, but in many instances, you know, we're part of that thinking, part of that strategizing, and at the core and the foundation of, of, of you know, those solutions as they, um, as they bring them to market. They haven't figured out business models by any stretch because, I mean, you speak to them and it's like, okay, we'll offer subscriptions. Okay, we'll, we'll sort of partner and, 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 and create products and go to market together. Oh, they haven't figured it out, have they? Um, some have, and some have done a better job than others. The, the idea of partnering and going to market jointly with, with the service provider customers is not a new one. You know, I, I can go back to, to you know, the 1990s when we were building you know, VPN solutions with, with service provider operators in Africa and selling them together. 
you know, on a Cisco-ready network and, and, and getting our sales teams working with their sales teams. So the concept's not new. Um, but the, what we're now taking to market together is, is much more complex than, than you know, the, the basic services from the 90s. So I think that's where it's challenging is that, you know, we've got to evolve our, our conversation with the customer. You know, that it's got to be much more around what's relevant to the customer and what's the value the customer will see and start with the conversation there, not start with the conversation about the service or the technology. And so finally, would I be right in saying in terms of the use case or the most prominent use case within the corporate context or commercial context on the continent, uh, to my mind, agriculture, mining, um, uh, perhaps logistics, in terms of IoT and its deployment, although I see those as the sort of low-hanging fruit where the um, uh, innovation won't be chasing you know, solutions. It will definitely be solutions-driven, and, and, and I feel like the market might be ready for it right now. What do you make of that? I would agree 100%, and I would add what we briefly touched on earlier around the public sector and citizen services. But, but yeah, agriculture, mining, citizen services are... You know, there are demonstrable solutions today. Um, there are examples across Africa where, you know, this innovation is alive and kicking. Um, but, you know, there, there is much more that we can do. Um, and and uh, the challenge is and the hope is that with events like this, with thought leadership, that we can actually demonstrate the art of the possible to, to people who can make those decisions. Prathap Dendi is the general manager for emerging technologies at the fairly successful software company AppDynamics. Now, Cisco recently acquired that business in the U.S. for a whopping $3.7 billion, just as they were planning to list themselves in the United States of America. Now, Prathap hails from the south of India, and he has some interesting insights to share regarding how technological innovation, not least IoT, might be wisely harnessed to deliver life-changing solutions to the world's poorest populations. Take a listen. So, Pratab, you, you hail from the south of India. Um, India, of course, being a developing nation, we have in common the fact that we both come from developing parts of the world. Uh, please give me a sense of what, as people from the, that part of the world, we ought to be most excited about in terms of the trend towards IoT and you know, on the, the flip side of that, what we should have genuine concerns about in terms of perhaps some of the unsavory outcomes that might result as this trend is adopted. No, it's, it's great. Um, you know, I happened to graduate around the time that Internet was, was just getting born. Uh, there were no things at that time. Now, now, now clearly Internet of things. Uh, and, and just you know, back in that time, um, growing up as a kid in developing country, um, your your ticket um, to prosperity is really around finding a job that's that's uh, very innovative and, and and rewarding. And at that time, there were only you know two or three lines of career. You know, you either become an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer. Uh, but now, uh, you know, not just IoT, but in general, you know, for for the generations that are growing up, uh, there's a lot more opportunity. And I think some of that opportunity undoubtedly is sparked by uh, broad availability of technology where you as an individual, without even getting a job, um, you can innovate. 
uh, in the back in my generation when I was coming out of school, um, the, the first thing and the most important thing to do was actually to find a job, a job that's very well defined and probably limited to 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 few lines of um, uh, business. And I think what what uh, Internet of Things uh, personifies is really how democratized uh, the world has become in terms of if you have an innovative idea that could then be developed into either a business or or, or, or you know the most fantastic um, ability for you to innovate on top of it and, and make a, a good career. And IoT particularly uh, because it's it's really broad even even for communities developing communities where you have a lot of natural resources where you have a lot of um, access to um, cheap human uh, resources uh, the idea of using that to innovate very quickly on on broadly and generically available platforms such as the IoT uh, is, is, is is a is a big gift and and that's what I'm excited about and so again that's the cotton candy which we love but um often is laced with you know unintended or unintentionally harmful you know outcomes uh, give us a sense of you know what you are personally worried about or at least cognizant of in terms of some of the the ill effects that we might experience in the developing world as this trend comes online it's fantastic. It's a really good question. Um, you know, I, I tend to be very optimistic about, about these trends, and there's a lot of goodness about every new technology-driven trend. Uh, the, the usual downsides there are, uh, you know, we're also seen as, as a very large demographic, you know, uh, in, in, in developing nations. We're also a very rich target, uh, you know, for, for monetization. And, and one of the things that, that we have to watch out for is really uh, privacy uh, and the data around, around our lifestyles. Because this day and age, what IoT allows is, is a lot of uh, sen- you know, uh, sensors at, uh, at, at, at economy of scale. It's not that expensive anymore uh, to have real-time data uh, coming from our communities. And to the extent that's used to better and improve our lives, that, that's great. And those are the common use cases that you hear about uh, in terms of innovation around IoT. And the downsides is really around security uh, and, and creating that that fine line between privacy, uh, you know, it's very very easy to come up with a very cool app these days. But uh, the difference between a cool app and a creepy app is is not that much, and that's what we we have we have to be watchful for. Uh, and how do we protect uh, our privacy and, and our community's privacy around it, and not be oversaturated with commercialization of it? So I heard you speak on a panel earlier, and you shared an interesting use case for the Internet of Things in your home village. Uh, I'm going to ask you to share it now and then use that as a springboard for explaining how, in a similar context anywhere else in the developing world, there's a potential for disenfranchisement in terms of uh, you know, basically impoverished communities not quite coming to terms with the implications of, you know, of what happens when they give up their data and, and really how valuable it is and how careful they ought to be when when it comes to giving it up and indeed to, you know, granting permissions in terms of how it's used. Um, And also it was interesting to me that um, even as an Internet of Things solution is rolled out in a place like your village, it's not thought of in that context at all. Uh, You know, speak to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's a great question. Um, You know, I come from Andhra Pradesh, which is a southern southern Indian uh, um, state. Shout out! <laughs> there you go, uh, and, and you know it's it's, it's blessed with a um, lot of uh, natural resources. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's a, the example that I was giving earlier is uh, leveraging a IoT technology uh, whereby you capture 
the abundance of uh, sunlight you have uh, because we're so close to the equator we get a lot of sunlight uh, and and how do you convert that into something that's very measurable right? this is your contribution of the uh, sunlight capture and that went into a repository and then how do you barter that uh, for something that you don't produce or, or has less less availability and and then that's where i think leadership the local administration leadership and policy makes a big big di- difference uh, we we're lucky to have a leader uh, who is not only tech savvy you know he's a techno technocrat himself but he has made sure that uh, such infrastructure exists for the commonest of the common people and they don't have to go and read uh, iot for dummies uh, to be able to capture that um, solar power and exchange that uh, collection for something that's that's you know groceries or or or, or fuel uh, and they made it very simple with the help of a policy that's administered locally in that village uh, so that it's 100% visible to everybody and the transparency of of that kind of capture is also very valuable because you know you don't need to teach people uh, if you can show the value right so uh, you know my neighborhood um, you know the the local villagers waking up and and looking at how much energy did they actually uh, collect through their solar panel roof uh, it's, it's accessible through the internet the least common denominator for them through a mobile app or a, or, or, or a browser every day they check on it uh, they're very proud of it and they also uh, track where where their project is in terms of maturity that so that's a perfect example of where when you have uh, a demographic that is very ready uh, for those enablers the technology could actually become very invisible you know you don't really need to have a course in the technology to the extent it's already giving you value and and i think it's a combination of uh, the people's interest but also importantly the the policy and, and leadership around it so this is a, a perfect example of a win-win situation where um, i mean there's obvious you know value in terms of the you know the people participating or enabling or allowing this technology to harvest data and benefit commercially etc um i think you know speak to some of the cynics who who are concerned that many of the commercial interests that drive big business to uh to pursue this trend many of their motives aren't necessarily geared towards a win-win situation for the average villager, villager in, in your village or the average farmer in my country. Uh, that's true and and i think that's where i think the emphasis on keeping it transparent because you know we, we live in a world where all of this data is being captured now um through a policy making that data visible real time uh is, is is a big change a big big transformation there because now people know that's the, the demand for it they actually want to see it at a real time basis and they start to understand the value of their data in in the context of you know commercialism a- absolutely and and i think that that is that is the role that the local policy plays as well and i visited china last year and they have they've made a lot of strides in there because you know if you look at it those developing nations um their resources and human resources is their wealth right and natural resources around them is their wealth uh, you know 100 years ago it's ironic we were sitting in the the tobacco uh, docks uh, you know a relic of uh, colonialism past uh, but now you know it, b- back then that visibility and transparency didn't exist right so i thought of, hang on i thought about hang on a moment man you know that zimbabwe to this day continues to be a major tobacco producer and i'm just i was struck walking through here that bales and bales of that stuff from my country 
easily came through here. Sitting in it, and, and this is this is the stockpile. This used to be their stock rooms, and we're comfortably cozily sitting here. But I think what lacked at that time is really what you mentioned. I think intelligence was always there uh, in humans. What we didn't have is the information and, and real-time information of how it's being used and, and who's benefiting from it. Is it being proportional? Is it is it being fair? Uh, I think that's changing, and that's changing. I think much more rapidly than we think it is, uh, because the commercial interest will always they, uh, always stay, and, and I think that's that that's not a bad thing. Uh, but coupling it with uh, the right policy and giving the visibility uh, to the uh, the end user and uh, letting them choose, uh, I think is massively important. And we're fortunate to live in that that world. And uh, our young ones, you know, wherever they're growing up, uh, they're lucky to be living in that in, in that area because they wake up and, and demand that. Uh, so I'm I'm quite. Uh, optimistic about about the role IoT and, and, and whatever other technology comes in uh, next uh, is going to play as part of the mainstream for developing nations. Now, Alan is an analyst at the Cambridge-based Kambashi, and he specializes in industrial IoT, cloud computing, and studies the effect of these technologies on the technical software applications market. Now, in this clip, he talks to me about the mindset that companies ought to adopt if they're to successfully surf the IoT wave and not disillusion their workforce. Alan Griffiths, welcome to the African Tech Roundup. Hi, nice to meet you. Well, you know, we were chatting moments ago about IoT and and your background in software development within manufacturing and, and commerce in general. And you had some interesting insights about uh, how you know, what companies often get right in terms of their efforts to integrate um, the Internet of Things in, in building inefficiencies in their business or, you know, taking on uh, areas of business that they perhaps haven't done before, things they do really well and things they perhaps don't do as well. But, you know, to sort of set the scene for that discussion, give our listeners a sense of your background and the sort of conversations you've been, you would typically have in the space in the line of work you do. Okay, well, my background's always been in introducing new technology from CAD CAM right up to uh, workflow, document management, and other systems, which have an effect on the business, a disruptive effect. And I see a lot of those similarities with the IoT industry. It's it's emergent. uh, There's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of different ways to go, a lot of uh, opportunities of working with different types of companies and different ways of going about it. So a lot of similarities. Right. And so, you know, in, we talked about within organizations, um, executive resources responsible for digital transformation, or at least delivering on that, uh, typically, you know, chief technology officers, sometimes chief di- digital officers, sometimes in, in smaller organizations, CMOs even. Uh, what do you find in terms of mindset is helpful in, it might be helpful in their approach to, to coming on board the trend of IoT? I think the first thing to say is that there's no, no one knows the right answer at the moment. And so you can start by doing it yourself, buying all the components. And what's made this a big revolution at the moment is that the sensors and the embedded software is cheap at the low end. So, so it's cheap to acquire and get started. And then at the high end, you've got cloud software and analytics which is, is, is also very easy to get started with. <clears throat> you know, it's, it is a commercial cost, but uh, the barrier to entry is very low. So you can start it yourself. On the other hand, there's some big players like IBM and G with Predix and Microsoft and <clears throat> Cisco and a lot of big players who could provide you an entire or almost or most of a solution. 
Uh, so there's, there's no right or wrong way of going about it. And in your experience, I remember you saying uh, you, you, you've, you've spoken to executives who, who sort of uh, confess that a lot of the times they approach the biggies after in, you know their teams on the inside or internally have failed, and almost sheepishly they have to go and admit defeat and bring and rope in you know expertise and talk me through that dynamic. Yeah, there's uh, quite a lot of experience in some of the big players <clears throat> who are finding that their most successful projects are coming from people who've had a go at it themselves, and you, you know you could say they failed. But one of the points I was making is that, like, from science, uh, if you design a good experiment and you measure the results, the, it's, not, it's not a failure. Either A happens or B happens. In either way, you've learned something, so it's not necessarily a failure. Um, so if they've tried to do it themselves and they've learned the limits and then they've brought in IBM or Predix or Exosite or someone, that's not necessarily a failure. They've learned something and they'll get a much better project. So the, the thing is to, to fail cheap and fail fast, really, and, and learn from it, measure it and learn from it. That speaks to a mindset change that uh, many organizations might do well to adopt uh, in terms of you know, thinking more like startups and, and having a healthy uh, appreciation for you know, what, quote-unquote, failed experiments can deliver in terms of insights that actually do add value. Exactly. And the other point I was making was about the uh, the organizational aspect, which is very complex, and there's lots of written about that by people, people more qualified than me. But um, one comment I would make from 30 years or more in this type of industry is that if you introduce a new disruptive technology and it's purely to save costs, you're going to create a lot of an environment of fear in the organization, in the culture. Um, but, but that's very, that's not to say you shouldn't do it, but it's good for business. You've got to turn that into a positive somehow, either by business expansion, we're going to get bigger because we're going to cut costs, or you're going to say we're also going into a new area. So you, you can expand the business into a new area. So there's got to be a positive message alongside it for your internal staff. There's an organizational psychology aspect where you don't want to create a scenario where, uh, where your employees, uh, or human resources are afraid to innovate or, or try something new because it has to work. Yeah, because typically cost reduction, reorganization, restructuring, to a lot of people that translate as I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> so you have to be careful about the wording and have a clear, positive picture that you can present and a genuine picture as well that can be uh, can can be implemented and measured. So in the line of consulting you do uh, and the research you perform, you have eyes principally on, you know, Europe. Uh, in the African context, IoT, you know, I sense IoT as a trend uh, seems to be something people believe is a big business trend as opposed to something that would affect, you know, medium-sized or even smaller entities. What, what are you finding in, in Europe in terms of the enthusiasm towards this trend within you know, different tiers of business? Uh, I think everyone knows of it and knows a little bit about it. Um, we are global, by the way, not, not specifically Europe. Uh, we're based in, uh, in Cambridge in England, but 99% of our work is overseas. Uh, and most of the big players that we work with are either American, French, German. So we, we cover the world globally. So um, <clears throat> I think a good example of... Um, 
what, what your question is a good illustration uh, is one of our companies we work with. In fact, two of them independently have got nice, very little niche IoT solutions based on rat traps and pest control. And you think that's the most boring industry in the world. How can you be innovative in that industry? And what they've both done independently, with diff working with different IoT companies, one with Exercise, one with IFS, is to put um, in, make intelligent rat traps that only they can detect when there's uh, a pest inside. They only need to be emptied then. If you want to be humane, you can treat them humanely, and you can you can reduce the number of uh, traps that you need. You can control it precisely, because with the analytics that you get from the numbers that are caught. Now this means that you could end up selling less rat traps. So you need a business, you need a different business model. Otherwise, you just reduce your market size. So they sell pest control rather than rat traps. So it needs a different business model. What? I mean, that's fascinating. Uh, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about the demands on executives to constantly reimagine their businesses. Isn't that typically? what makes people perhaps frightened of IoT, this idea that in the context of an executive, it might make it even harder to perform or outperform expectations? I think that's very true, and people have got to be prepared for change. I mean, in, in the, the bigger examples uh, that where you're talking about uh, predictive maintenance on aircraft engines, generators, this is where the big money is being spent and where the big money is going to be saved. It means, for example, for the maintenance teams, a completely different way of working where they always had their weekly rotors and they went to this company on this date and this company on this date. That's all going to change. So it has a massive impact on the guy that was organizing that is going to be, if he's a negative, he's going to be worried. If he's positive, he's going to say, this is a great opportunity for us to do our business better. So yes, people will be disrupted, absolutely. And I'm going to ask you to put your futurist cap on finally and, and give me a sense of perhaps one of the most likely pain points to, that, might, that you imagine might emerge as IoT comes online or comes main, becomes mainstream. You know, there are people obviously worried about how it's going to disrupt the very fabric of our society, for example. Um, I don't know if you have thoughts on that and what you think might be perhaps a pain point initially or just a, a difficult change to to overcome in terms of society and, and the changes that IoT might bring? I think it's very much the same as like when CAD-CAM became uh, and ERP became uh, strong you know, 30 years ago. Um, I, I read lots of books then about the effect on society and I was kind of concerned, you know, we're, we're just putting people out of work. That didn't happen. Uh, I think people will always find new things to do. You give them better tools, they'll find different things to do. So I think IoT is a tool, like CAD-CAM was, like ERP, like Workflow, that you can do more stuff with. And it's thinking and imagining about what you can do. And there's an unlimited number of things that you can do. That's the way I, t I see it. Many, many thanks to Anton Juster of Dimension Data, Pratap Dendi of App Dynamics. David Meads of Cisco Africa and, of course, Alan Griffiths of Kambashi for sharing their insights on this episode. To listen to the full conversations I had with these gentlemen, as well as a couple of others that were taped at the IoT World Forum 2017, head on over to africantechroundup.com. Go ahead and click on the quick tech chats button that you'll find on the main menu and listen away. 
Otherwise, one last time, it's a big thank you to GoDaddy for sponsoring this episode of the African Tech Roundup. Now, remember that you too can buy your own domain name, build a site, or use any of GoDaddy's business tools and save 30% at trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech. That's trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech to save yourself 30%. Now, be sure to look out for African Tech Roundup episode 106. That'll be dropping soon. Uh, I'll definitely have the homie Musa Kalenga back on the mic with me for that one. You can also look forward to us dropping great conversations that we taped at the fringes of Afrobytes Tech Conference 2017. There's so much great stuff that we can't wait to share with you in the coming weeks. But that's the show for now, though. I'm Andile Masugu. Thanks for listening, and do take care, Africa.